Okay, well, I'm happy to be here, happy to see everybody out, I invite you to get your Bibles and follow along as we open the Word of the Lord and open to John chapter 9. In the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter 9, we're going to be studying this chapter, I don't really intend to be looking at other texts, uh, but we'll be looking at this chapter and a, uh, kind of an exposition of the chapter and kind of looking at the characters of this chapter. There are several characters that are talked about in this, in this text. And that'll be our study. Here is from John chapter 9. And we use the phrase from the English Standard Version from verse 1, the phrase, a man blind from birth. A man blind from birth. And the healing of this man. And there are just some really tremendous lessons and profitable lessons for us to give consideration to of this marvelous event in the life of our Lord. So John chapter 9, get your Bibles, follow along as we look here in this text. Let's Notice here in verse 1, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Teacher, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, they, they, they were looking at this fellow, born blind, and uh, it raises the question, really, in general, the whole problem of suffering. And they thought, well, was it something that he had done or would, would have done? Uh, of himself that would cause him to be born blind or was it his parents' sin? And sometimes there are things that happen that happens to people in human suffering that we sort of bring problems upon ourselves. That, that's true. And sometimes parents do bad things. Uh, sometimes you have people that do and misuse drugs and illicit drugs and and such things as that and they create problems for their uh, for the birth of their of their children and, and birth defects and different things, and we can kind of bring things upon ourselves or upon our children. And then sometimes it was neither the case here, as Jesus is going to point out, but ultimately, really all suffering, ultimately goes back to sin introducing the world in Genesis chapter 3. I mean, you had paradise when Adam and Eve, they were born in this world or created and, and in this world, and it was perfect and, and everything was great. They were in fellowship with God and had good health, etc., and those types of things. But then, of course, sin came into the world. And then the consequences of sin. And we bear ultimately, uh, all suffering ultimately goes back to somewhere. It could be great-great-grandparents. Maybe through genetics things come down. And other problems that that happened in the world that we live in. But, but, but anyway, it wasn't that this man had done anything wrong, nor his parents, Jesus said. And so in verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. That is, it was going to be an occasion, because this is just the way life is. There are just sometimes there are things that are bad that, that happens in life. But it would be an occasion for God and his magnificent works to take place. Because Jesus is going to heal this man. And uh, that would be a manifestation of God. And the working of God, of Jesus, what was going on here. And so he says in verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while his day, the night comes when no man's work. And that's, a, of course, a very important principle that, well, we've got to work now. Got to work during the day. The night comes. You can't work. Especially, you think, in the first century. I guess sometimes people still work because we've got better lighting system. But in the first century, it was much more difficult to try to work after dark. And so generally, you do the work during the day. He says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus, indeed, is the light of the world. And all those 
uh, phrases there, very rich in meaning, that we need to work before thy comes. And that is, we need to make our preparations in serving the Lord in the here and now. And Jesus, of course, is the light of the world, and we can reflect his light as uh, we're to be the light of the world, reflecting divine light, just like the moon reflects sunlight. The moon doesn't generate its own light, but it reflects sunlight, and therefore it gives light. That's, that's how the scriptures uh, talk about the moon giving light, but it's the light that emanates from the sun. And we can give light, not intrinsically of ourselves, but because, of course, as children of God, as the people of God. All right, then beginning in verse 6, here's the miracle that's going to take place. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. That is, here you got this dust, and, and he sort of makes a little mud there. And he rubs the eyes of the blind man there uh, with the clay and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. That's what Siloam means, sent. He went, therefore, and washed and came seeing. He didn't go seeing. He washed, he, 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 he anointed his eyes with the mud, and he says, you go wash. And then he washed, and then it says that he came, seeing it, is as he left after the washing. And uh, that's an important little tidbit there, because sometimes you have miracles, like when Jesus healed the ten lepers. It's as they went, they were healed. But in this case, it was after he completed what the Lord tells him to do. That is, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so what we have, of course, is a, a great miracle takes place. I mean, here's a fellow who's never been able to see. Sometimes people go blind. Sometimes before cataract surgery. And, uh, you know, cataracts can just get to where you're practically blind. We live in a time where they take the lens out and they put artificial lens and, boy, you can see great and just a, a wonderful blessing. Most common surgery performed in the United States, cataract surgery. Uh, but in the first century, you could develop cataracts and just practically uh, kind of looking through saran wrap, uh, heavy layer saran wrap, and so technically you're blind. And that could happen. Sometimes you have accidents. Sometimes various things can cause people to lose their sight. But this man, he had never seen. He was born blind, and uh, which was kind of a, a, a unique situation. But he was healed. And that was certainly a marvelous, powerful miracle that takes place. And you have these miracles listed in the Gospel of John. And there's like seven miracles plus the resurrection that is recorded, and John says these things are recorded that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and believing upon him you might have life eternal. That's the whole purpose of these miracles, is that it's evidence that Jesus who, uh, is who he claimed to be, that is, the, uh, the Son of God and the Messiah. And so anyway, there's also the very important lesson about obedience. He puts the mud on his eyes. He says, go and wash. And he goes and wash, washes his eyes. And then he comes seeing. He receives the blessing. Now, if he would have thought, well, now what does washing in the pool of Siloam have to do with anything? It just doesn't make sense. It's not going to help any. And why can't I just get a, uh, my little jug of water, my water bottle, and just wash my eyes? That way I don't have to travel all the way to the pool of Siloam. I mean, you've got to reason any number of ways that human beings sometimes do things. But that, that's, not, that, that, that's not what God wants. God sometimes tells us things as conditions as uh, for receiving a blessing. Just like the walls of Jericho falling down. 
Okay, you're to, walk, you're to march around the walls of Jericho once for six days each day. And the seventh day, you go around seven times and then give a shout. Oh, that's exactly what they did. They met the conditions and the walls came tumbling down. And that's what we have here, that God put conditions for this man to receive his sign. That is, after putting the clay, you go and you wash your eyes in the pool of salt. And he did that and the blessings came. It wasn't that he earned this blessing. It wasn't that he deserved this blessing. It was still a matter of divine grace. It was by the power of God. It wasn't that the power was in the water. The power was in God and the miraculous powers that Jesus manifested, but it was given conditionally. The same for us in the plan of salvation. God tells us that we've got to believe on the Son of God. God tells us that we must confess our faith, turn from sin, and be immersed in water. The power is not in the water intrinsically. That's not what washes away our sins. It's the blood of Christ. But baptism is necessary because that's the when we receive the forgiveness of our sins. And as you study the scriptures, because we have to meet the conditions, because God gives it conditionally. Just like Jesus gave this uh, miraculous power of uh, receiving sight, conditionally, you go and wash in the pool of salt. And so that's exactly what he did. And then in verse 8, it says, The neighbors, therefore, and they which uh, before had seen him that was blind, said, Is this not he that sat in bag? So if you were blind, there was not a lot of jobs you could do. And so, well, you could sit uh, kind of at a public place and, and ask for money. Maybe somebody could make you up a sign. You know, I'm blind. Could I get a helping hand? Uh, asking, begging people. And so they said, isn't this the fellow that, that uh, you know, used to sit there and beg? And some said, well, this is he. Others said, well, he's like him. He kind of looks like him. But, I mean, he's up, he's up going around because now this fellow can see. So really probably wasn't him. It's just sort of his, his lookalike, you know. You sometimes here, well, everybody's got their own twin in the world. You know, somebody that you'll look like somebody. And you know, maybe it kind of looks like him, but... And then, then the guy said, well, yeah, it's me. Yeah, I'm, I'm the one. Yeah, that, that, that's me. So in verse 10, it says, Therefore said they to him, How is it that your eyes are open? How, how, how did that happen? Can you, can you explain it? And that was pretty easy because it really wasn't really complex what took place. And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay. And anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and received my sight. Just what was stated. He repeats it. Yeah, this guy named Jesus. He made this clay and he put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash my eyes. And that's exactly what I did. And after I washed and I received my sight. You see, he gave me conditions, I followed the condition, and I received this blessing, and it come from a man named Jesus. So he repeats exactly what took place. It wasn't complex. I mean, it wouldn't be like something, no, you know, I need to write all these details down. That was so simple. I mean, if all your life you've been blind, and you do something that's very simple, and you receive sight, it's like, well, that was pretty easy, and you would just be ecstatic. I mean... You would have to imagine if you've never been able to see and now you're able to see. I mean, look at all the things that we see. We're moving into springtime and all this, the beauty of the spring flowers and the trees. You've never seen that. Then you get to see that. 
You never get to see fall colors and all the different colors that leaves turn into. Now you can see and you're able to see that. Or to see a beautiful sunset or see a beautiful sunrise and the variation of, of colors and, and sometimes the clouds, etc. Or to look up into the stars and see all these things you've never seen. I mean, it's just tremendous to think about. And when you see things for the very first time, it's like seeing things in books. Ah, oh, for the longest time, I always dreamed about going to see the Grand Canyon or going out to see those giant sequoia trees. And I would look at pictures and I would dream about that as a kid and for like almost 50 years waiting to see those things and then finally you get to see them and it, it's incredible to see it with your own eyeballs. I mean, to see it in real life, it's just tremendous. And so, you know, sight is a very great blessing. And so it would have been for this fellow. And so he explains exactly what happens there. But there's something interesting about this fellow. That was blind, born blind, now you can see, is his perception about this man named Jesus. Because if you notice there in verse 11, he says, well, there was a man that is called Jesus. That's about all he knows about. He's just a man named Jesus. If you drop on down in the text, down there in number 17, they say to the blind man again, what say you of him, that is when we're talking with the Pharisees, uh, that he has opened his eyes, he said, he is a prophet. So he starts out, he talks about Jesus, well, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a man, this man named Jesus. And then as he thinks about all that's taking place and all these inquiries and all that's happened, well, he must be a prophet. You've got to have some connection to God to be able to do these things. And then on down in the text, if you look down there in verse 35 and the following verses, after they cast out the blind man, the, uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, Jesus heard that he cast them out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Do you believe on the Son of God? Some translation says Son of Man, because some of the, text, uh, the, the, the manuscripts use Son of Man, but it really would be the same point. It's kind of like in Matthew 16, when Jesus says, who do you think that I am, the Son of Man? Well, Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, Son of Man, Son of God, in reference to uh, the, uh, the special person of Jesus, who is the Christ, the, the Son of the living God. All right. So he starts out, say, well, there's this man named Jesus. And then he says, well, he's a prophet. And then ultimately, we get to the chapter, well, he's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And so you see how his understanding, how his perception, everything began to grow in his understanding. And that's the way it is really for all of us that our insights hopefully grow as we study the Bible. Our insights grow as we go along life's, uh, life's journeys and study the scriptures, how we see things better and, and more uh, plain and more clear and more full as we open the word of the Lord. All right, verse 12. Then, said, then they said to him, where is he? I said, well, I, I don't know. He says, I don't know. And they, brought to the, they brought, uh, to the, uh, brought to the Pharisees him that was aforetime blind. And it was on the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So that, a little insight there that this healing took place on the Sabbath day. Sabbath day was a day of rest. You weren't supposed to work. That is to go out and make money and all that type of thing. But there was misunderstanding about where they were commanded to rest, that that meant total inactivity. And that isn't exactly correct. There are things that uh, can be done 
and what Jesus did was certainly within the preview uh, of, the, of uh, the Sabbath, that it was not a violation of the Sabbath. Jesus was not out trying to make money. He wasn't out trying to increase wealth. He was helping somebody that was in need. And Jesus would use the illustration, if you had ox, if you had a, a sheep in the ditch, your animal from your farm is over in the ditch on a Sabbath, well, you're going to go help push that animal out, out of mercy. Nobody would have any problem with that. It is activity, but it's not really you're trying to, you know, go into the uh, tow business or something. It's just you're showing mercy. And uh, so anyway, they, uh, they had their own, uh, well, their own set of human rules they added to the Sabbath day. So we're going to make a big deal about that, and we'll see that as we continue on in the story. All right. So they bring him to the Pharisees. Uh, this was the sect of the Jews that felt that they were the real watchdogs of orthodoxy, etc. Verse 15, Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed and do see. Very simple. Puts this clay on my eyes, I go to the pool of Siloam, I wash my eyes, and I come seeing. He repeats it again. And it's going to be talked about again two or three more times. I mean, how complex is that? Uh, do you need to, like, study that? Do you need, like, to write all that down? Say, well, yeah, I'm going to go home and study on that for a while. You get it. It's pretty simple. It's very basic of what took place. Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. Well, they looked at what happened to the blind man. The man born blind, healed. Powerful, powerful miracle. You can't somehow kind of wave the hand and say, well, you know, that really didn't happen. Well, it did happen. It, it's pretty obvious. But the problem is these Pharisees, they're so full of pride and haughtiness and dishonest and self-righteousness, the hypocrisy uh, just as we studied in the Bible class about hypocrisy, the Pharisees were certainly full of that. Instead of like going back and thinking and looking at the whole situation, some people were saying, okay, this man was born blind, he's healed, that's definitely a powerful miracle. Jesus is the one that performed the miracle. There has to be something connected with God about him. They knew that. It had to be connected with God. But... Their assumption is, based upon their fallacy of the Sabbath law, that, well, he's a sinner because this was done on the Sabbath day. Maybe they should have thought, well, we're going to have to figure out how to harmonize these two events. What Jesus did was definitely from God, and he's a sinner. Well, maybe he's not a sinner. Maybe they need to reconsider their position. It's kind of like when you study the Bible. You know, truth is always harmonious with truth. I mean, truth doesn't contradict truth. I mean, if you say 2 plus 2 equals 4, you can't come over and say 2 plus 2 equals 5. That's contradictory. Some, something, something wrong there. Something not squaring up. And when you study the Bible and you read a verse and you put some sort of explanation on it, for instance, when people look at Romans chapter 3 where it talks about how we're justified by faith and they say, well, that means we're justified by faith only. But then you come to James chapter 2 and in verse 24 where James says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Well, there's something out of kelter there. If you're saying, well, now Paul's saying we're justified by faith only, James says we're not justified by faith only, 
there's got to be some sort of explanation. Problem is, people just sort of read that into what Paul says about being justified by faith. They're the ones that add the word only to it. See, they put their, their twist on the scripture. They put their twist on what the Bible says because then when you come to a statement like James chapter 2, it contradicts their, their theory. So anytime we look at a passage and we uh, come to the conclusion, but then we look at other verses and it's like, hey, there's something not gelling here. We better go back to the drawing board and study and study until we can harmonize the text and all the other texts that has to do with on, uh, with on, uh, on any given topic. <clears throat> all right, so here some said, well, he's got to be a sinner, the Pharisees. And other, well, he's, you know, how could a sinner do such things of a miracle? And when they say sinner, uh, they mean by somebody that just doesn't care about God. That, that would be the... The, the, the in, inclination of the term sinner, somebody that just transgresses against God and don't even care about God and, and not even trying to do the right thing. That would be the, 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 the tone of the term sinner there. Because really, technically, we're all sinners. That, that, that would be the truth. All right, so verse 17. And they say to the blind man again, what say you of him that he has opened your eyes? And he said, well, he's a prophet. I mean, ding, ding, ding. You know, like put things together. Okay, he heals me. At first he says, man. But then as they were reasoning, well, you've got to be connected to God. You couldn't be some sinner. And it's like, well, he must be some sort of prophet. He's got to have a special connection with God. Verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and that he had received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And so they called the parents and they asked them, saying, verse 19, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How is it then that does he now see? Verse 20. And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son. No doubt about it. Yeah, that's our boy. Uh, he, he's of age, so I take it probably at least maybe 18, maybe 20. I don't know. Maybe he's older than that. Because they said he's of age, so I would think being an adult... He might be, we'll say, 21. We'll just say he's 21 or older. And they said, well, you know, hey, we, we've had him for 21 years. We raised him. Yeah, that's our boy. And we know that he was born blind. He'd been blind all his life. No doubt about that. That's unquestionable. They're giving their testimony, both mom and dad. Yeah, it wasn't like, well, you know, mom, she just kind of, she just sort of dreamed this up, or dad, he was just dreaming this up. No, it was, they both agreed. Obviously, it was their boy, and he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we know not. Or who has opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. And then it explains why they gave that particular response. For it says in verse 22, these words spoke his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had, all, had agreed already that if any, any man did confess that he was Christ, that is the Messiah, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said he, his parents, he is of age, ask him. The lesson there about peer pressure. What we have here, the Jews had made up that if Anybody would confess Jesus the Christ, it's like, I guess that's where cancel culture came from. You know, people hadn't changed. <laughs> We're going to cancel them out. We're gonna, hey, just toss them out. We're going to cancel you. You get out of here. That's how they dealt with it. 
That's kind of the way people do today. They don't like what you're saying. They don't like what you teach. They don't like what you're holding to. We're just going to cancel you. And we're going to get all over social media. And we're going to get on the uh, public airwaves or whatever. And we're just going to cancel you. People hadn't changed through the centuries. And that's what they had determined. Anybody going to confess Jesus was the Messiah? That he was, you know, God's anointed one. He was the one that we should have been looking for. All right, well, out of here. You're out of here. And so that's what they uh, were threatening. And these parents were well aware of what they had said, that you would be canceled, you'd be canceled. You'd be uh, cast out of the synagogue, wouldn't be allowed to come back in. It's like, hey, okay, get out. I don't know, maybe they had synagogue bouncers and just toss them out if they tried to come in. Whatever. Well, peer pressure. You can have, you can have pretty, pretty strong effect on people. And, but right is right. I mean, truth is truth. We've we got to stand for what's right, regardless whether anybody agrees with it or doesn't agree with it. If nobody wants to go along with well, what God says, okay. If we have to stand alone, we have to stand alone. But at least we're standing on truth. And so here the, it was kind of a big cop-out. Now the man that was born blind, now you would think these parents would be so grateful for the son who had been blind all his life, now he could see. You would think that they would have gratitude for Jesus as ultimately would come to pass, but... I don't know. I, 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 I don't know how to gel that in my mind. I, I would just think I would just be eternally grateful for my boy that never saw, and now he could see, and this was a powerful miracle. Whether you could explain anything else, you could know that that was a powerful miracle, and it was. Then again, then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give praise, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. All right. So they, they, they have to recognize that it was the power of God. It wasn't the power of the devil. The devil don't have miraculous power. The devil, when he does so-called miracles, they're just pseudo-miracles. They're false miracles, just like, like uh, during like the days of Pharaoh when Pharaoh's magicians were performing, uh, you know, kind of in, in, uh, in contrast to Moses' miracles, like throwing the rod down and become a serpent. Well, you know, they, they did something kind of like it, but it was just really just sleight of hand and magic, nothing miraculous, pseudo-miracles that all they could perform. But this was a true bona fide miracle. I mean, you, you, you couldn't get around it. I mean, the guy's testifying, the parents are testifying, everybody else had seen the same guy, they knew he was blind, now you can see. It wasn't like, you know, everybody was deceived by it. I mean, sometimes you can have a whole group of people and somebody sees something incorrectly, but then you get the whole group sees it. Well, you know, I just wasn't looking at it correct, and that, that, that can certainly happen. But he was definitely, of course, healed. So give God the praise. Well, he was. He was giving praise to Jesus because he was God in the flesh. He was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We know that this man is a sinner. They, they don't. That, that was, see, that was their false assumption. They, they felt their position was correct. They felt that they were sound in their position, but the problem was their position was incorrect. And they were so blinded spiritually by their, their traditions and their uh, human wisdom upon uh, the command and the teachings of God. And he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. 
which is a really an important point. You don't have to know everything to know some things. Well, this man sin or not? I don't know all about Jesus. But I know one thing for sure. I was blind and now I see. And you know, there's some things like that when it comes to the Bible. It's like, for instance, in Revelation 20, people read in premillennial theology in that passage. Whether you could ever understand, say, well, this is what Revelation 20 is teaching. You may not understand, but one thing you can know for sure, it's not teaching premillennial theology. And that is because the Bible pretty plain that the kingdom was established beginning on the day of Pentecost. And from that point on, the New Testament does not speak of the kingdom coming in the future. It speaks of it in the present tense. And you can know that for sure. But you don't have to know everything to know something. It would be like if we were walking, uh, we were out somewhere, and I was with Glenn. And I said, hey, Glenn, is that Kathy? And he said, no, that's not Kathy. I said, well, who is it? Well, I don't know who it is. Well, how do you know it's not Kathy if you don't know who it is? <laughs> you don't have to know everybody to know that, well, that's not my wife. You see the point? You don't have to know everything to know some things. And this fellow knew that he was blind, and now he can see. Just like we can know a lot of things about the Bible, because that's what it says. If there's some things that we can't explain, we'll just say, well, I don't know about that, but I know this for sure. And that's what the fellow's saying here. I know I was blind, and now I see. That, that, that goes without contradiction. Then said they uh, to him again, what did he do? How opened he, how opened he your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already. And did you not hear? Why did you not hear? Will you be his disciples also? Then they reviled him. They like, one translation, they shouted at him. They looked down upon him. They, they, they were like making fun of him and being abusive toward him. Ah, yeah, yeah, you can be his disciple or Moses' disciples. They said, verse 28, we know that God spoke to Moses. Well, that's true. God did speak to Moses. They knew that for sure because that was the fact of the matter. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he was. Well, they didn't have to know all about Jesus to know that this man was made, uh, made, uh, made whole, that he was healed. He was born blind, he was seen, and Jesus was the fellow that did it. And the man answered and said to them, Why, wherein? Uh, said unto them, Why, where, uh, why, why, herein is a marvelous thing, and you know not from whence he is, and yet he has opened my eyes. Don't have to know everything, but you know one thing for sure. That, hey, I was born blind, now I can see, and it was because of Jesus. That was without contradiction. You cannot, you cannot wave your hand and try to get around it. It was confirmed by him, all the people that knew this fellow. His parents came, everything. It was, it was just, uh, well, without contradiction. And so the fellow reasons a little bit further, the blind man. Now we know that God hears not sinners. That's kind of a, a general uh, truth uh, stated that talking about again sinners in the sense of of rebellious people that didn't care about God. God te technically, he, God hears everything. God sees everything, but he says he do, he doesn't hear them. That is, he he's not obligated to heed sinners. You, you can't make a general uh, blanket statement in every circumstance and, and case because you got like Cornelius, who was. Uh, a sinner who had sinned and needed salvation, yet he's praying to God, but God takes note of his, his prayer and sends somebody. And so you, you've got that kind of case. But, but, but in general, yeah, somebody that's impenitent, yeah, God has no obligation to hear them. Literally hears everything, but he has no obligation to, to respond to any request that uh, somebody that's impenitent cries out to God. 
But if any man be a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Well, that, that's the general truth also. They got the eyes of the Lord over the righteous and ears, his ears are open to his prayer. That, that's a great, great, great concept, great blessing for those that serve God. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? Well, no, this was pretty unique, pretty special miracle. And pretty marvelous what takes place. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Well, that would be a logical conclusion. I mean, you can't have people out here that have no connection with God doing miraculous powers because only God could do miraculous powers. Miracle, you know, let me just mention about the word miracle. We, we have too many people use the word, you know, pretty lightly and really incorrectly. Biblically, a miracle is something that transcends and sets aside natural laws. I mean, they're, they're marvelous things that take place. A baby being born, people say, oh, it was, just, it was just a miracle. No, that's not a miracle. That, that's according to natural law. It's a, it's a marvelous thing, no doubt. Birth of a, of a baby is a marvelous thing. It's, it's just a tremendous thing, but it's not miraculous. Miraculous is something that sets aside natural laws and uh, etc. and... Uh, you know, and it's done instantaneously by the power of God. Yeah, that, that's a miracle. And that would certainly be the conclusion. That here, this was a powerful miracle. And if you were the one who did you've got to be connected with God. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. That, that would be true too. And they answered and said to him, You are altogether born in sin. Do you teach us? You see, that's the problem. Do, do you teach us? These people were so haughty. They were so full of themselves. They were so arrogant and blind. And when they said, do you teach us? No. Because they were unteachable. As Jesus would pray in Matthew chapter 11, I thank you, God, that you have hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. People that think they already know, you will not teach them anything. It is impossible. And that's why these people are not going to get it, because they think they already know. Do you teach us? We, we already know. You can't tell us anything. We are smart. We, we, we already have all the answers. And they cast him out. And so there are people like that. They're never willing to listen to anybody. Okay, so... They throw him out. And so Jesus heard that he was cast out, and when he had found him, he said to them, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered, said, Well, who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and is he that talks with you? It's me. Yeah, I'm the, I'm, I'm the one that I'm talking about. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now, Jesus didn't say, well, don't worship me. You know, I'm just a mere man. No, Jesus accepted this worship. Why? Because he was God in the flesh. He was the Son of God. He was the Son of Man. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of the living God. Yes, he accepted worship. Only God is to be worshipped, and Jesus received worship. And those who say that Jesus was less or just a mere man are totally wrong. Jesus accepted worship because he was God in the flesh. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt in him, Paul affirmed in the book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Philippians chapter 2, that he was God in the flesh. All right, so he worshiped him. Well, rightly so. I mean, it, it made a believer out of him. It makes a believer out of me just to read the story. 
I mean, I wasn't even there, but I read and it, it, it increases my faith in the Son of God, in Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus said, for judgment I come into this world that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. That's that's an interesting thing about about the Bible. It's revealed in such a way that if you want to get it, you have the right attitude, you're going to get it. And the same person that's got a bad attitude can look at the same passages, the same verses, and they don't see it. And why? Why? When people that, that are full of pride, you know, they're full of, uh, of themselves, they, nobody's going to tell them anything, and they think they already know, and they read something the Bible says, you, you know, it's just like the plan of salvation. Jesus says, go preach the gospel of every creature. He that believes in him is baptized shall be saved. Like, oh, I, don't, I don't see that. I don't, I, don't, I don't think baptism is necessary. I don't see it. Well, they're probably telling the truth. They don't see it. The reason they don't see it because they haven't opened their eyes. They are spiritually blind. And verse 40, And some of the Pharisees which were with them heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore your sin remains. You see, they, could, they saw with their physical eyes, but their spiritual eyes, they were blind. They were spiritually blind. They thought they already knew. They were arrogant. They were proud. Nobody's going to tell them anything. They looked at something very obvious. This man was born blind. He's healed. Jesus is the one that did it. But they couldn't recognize Jesus for what that miracle meant. That, that, that is total blindness. And just call Jesus a sinner because of their false ideals, because of their human tradition, because of their arrogancy. They could not concede to something that was as plain and as obvious as the nose on your face, and they wouldn't accept it. And so Jesus says, if you were blind, that is, you recognize, hey, I'm, a, I'm lacking. Yeah, you would come to Jesus. You would have accepted, and you'd have no sin. But you come along and say, well, you know, I already see, I already know, I already get it, but the sin remains. You see, we can be blinded spiritually or we can open our eyes. And that's the nature of the gospel. If you want to see it, yeah, you're going to get it. (laughs) It's possible. You're going to get it. But you have to have the right attitude. All right. Great story. Great lessons there. We extend the invitation of the Lord and Savior. There is a plan of salvation of what men and women must do in order to be saved. We must hear this good news about Jesus, how he died on the cross, that he was buried, he was raised again the third day. We've got to believe on him as the Son of God, that these miracles like we studied in John chapter 9, yeah, that was Jesus and that he was God in the flesh, that we've got to obey his command to repent. I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We've got to be willing to confess and say, yeah, I believe Jesus Christ, Son of God, confessing that before men, and to be baptized as Jesus commands, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And when we complete from the heart this obedience and submission to the will of God, just say, hey, Lord, That's what you said. I'm just going to do what you say. Okay, then you can come into the family of God, and then you're exhorted to grow and be faithful. And if you do err, the second law of pardon is described there in Acts chapter 8, that is to repent and pray God for forgiveness. If there's one here that needs to obey the gospel, you could do that. All things are made ready, and we can help you in any way. You come and let us know why together as we stand and as we sing.